is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dow Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I am delighted to welcome back Sylvia Ann Hewlett to the show. Sylvia will be talking about the myriad of data on the incidence of sexual harassment and assault in the workplace. She's got a brand new book, and we will be talking about the direct and indirect costs of the hashtag MeToo movement in corporate America. And what I'm excited about is she offers best practices that will help organizations and employees move toward a more equitable and safe environment. Sylvia, welcome to the show. Caroline, it's fabulous to be in conversation with you again. Well, thank you, my dear. I'm thrilled to have you back. And, you know, this book took a lot of courage and bravery to uh, to discuss. And, and I say that with absolute respect because the book is compassionate. It gives such wonderful action steps. And the data points are really staggering. And I always appreciate uh, the data behind any situation, but I'd love for you to unpack this to our global audience. Bring us up to speed on what's happening with the Me Too movement and give us a glimpse of some of the data that you uncovered that was the foundation for this book. Absolutely. The genesis of this book was October 2017. I was in conversation with Ariana Huffington. And she was talking about the uh, brilliant jerks uh, in Silicon Valley. (laughs) Uh, She was on the Uber board and she was, you know, busy trying to bring down that particularly uh, exploitive CEO. Uh, And so it was a very um, exciting evening. And obviously it was also the week that uh, Me Too, uh, you know, took off. And I was listening to her tales of Silicon Valley. And I uh, particularly uh, was caught up by this idea that this brilliant jerk was untouchable. You know, he was bringing in so many millions of dollars and he was the rainmaker. And my brain went to what happened to me when I was 23. Um, I was working at a very prestigious uh, management consulting firm. Um, I was a very kind of... uh, a uh, sheltered person in some ways. I'd grown up in a family of six uh, 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 girls. <laughs> I'd gone to a girls' college. Uh, I'd come from this blue-collar you know, background. I was quite timid. And the uh, managing director of the firm uh, breezed by my cubicle one Friday afternoon and told me to come to his office to give him a hand job. <laughs> uh, and it was a devastating moment for me because... Um, I was gobsmacked, but I was also so scared because it was almost completely male environment. And I also, because I was a blue collar kid, needed that job. I couldn't go live with mom and dad, you know, for a few months. And I knew that if I turned him down, he would retaliate big time. So I I start with this story because I literally had not told anyone uh, of this happening. Um, Not my sister, not my husband, but... Ariana and her, you know, her guts allowed me to open up. And it was an amazing evening. Uh, it really did change my life. Um, 
And what I determined to do after that event was to do some real research, go collect some amazing data. I partnered with the University of Chicago. You know, this is terrific data. And what I discovered is that, okay, uh, Me Too has done some fabulous things for women like me, you know, white women in professional jobs. But even if you look at just the white collar workplace, which is what I tend to do in my data, there are many more folks who have been victimized and are either languishing or leaving their jobs as a result. I mean, what happened to me is that I just quit that firm. I mean, this man went on to actually assault me and I was gone. You know, I just couldn't, um, I didn't have any levers to get back at him. Uh, so let's look at what I found out uh, in my uh, new work. Uh, the data I, I you know, uncovered uh, the surveys I fielded uh, really uh, do create a kind of blueprint of what is going on out there in the white collar workplace. Well, there is the story that we mostly know about that Me Too really has wonderfully uncovered. Um, white women uh, do uh, suffer harassment in a, and assault in really very significant ways. 34% uh, suffer harassment, 7% uh, suffer sexual assault. Uh, and increasing this, this group is coming out, uh, speaking, uh, you know, driving some change. And whether you're talking about Uber, Fox News, or IBM, you know, all kinds of gains have been made over the last two years. But I also discovered, you know, hidden pockets of pain. Uh, for instance, you know, if 34% of women suffer harassment at work, 13% of men also suffer sexual harassment and 5-6% uh, uh, suffer sexual assaults. And when you look hard at the, the group of men who are victimized, very uh, disproportionately, it's men of color. Uh, black men are 50% more likely than white men to experience both harassment and assault. And uh, the other fact is that uh, gay individuals, both men and women, have much higher rates of harassment than straight people. And, you know, I think when I go into the stories, and um, because of my network, you know, I've been... Uh, toiling away in the, the field of, of diversity research for many years now, I was able to find individuals who were able to open up about their experiences. And what I found, uh, Caroline, and you're probably not surprised by this, you know, intersectionality is really the name of the game. If you, for instance, are a Latina uh, and you're also an immigrant, you are um, more likely to be targeted, you're seen as easy prey, <laughs> and you're very unlikely to report because you're scared, because maybe you're on a dodgy visa, or you're uh, very aware of the fact that as a brown person from you know, Latin America, uh, you are very easily uh, expendable. But we find uh, in this research that these folks keep quiet. And the other thing that I found, again, in the stories that um, black men who are, you know, really uh, disproportionately at risk here uh, are extra specially likely not to say anything. 
uh, only 3% ever report anything, uh, despite the fact that they are routinely targeted. Uh, and when I say targeted, uh, I mean that they are victimized by both um, more powerful men and more powerful women. Uh, in 60% of cases, it's a woman that is the aggressor. In uh, just over 40% of cases, it's a man. And, you know, some uh, individuals are actually targeted by both. And I tell this amazing story of uh, Warren um, Thomas, uh, a senior executive in the publishing world, and he really did share his story with me. Um, three years ago, uh, he was really... Um, I guess, hit upon by a younger female executive. Uh, she used to kind of uh, follow him into the kind of um, the coffee area or, uh, you know, even in a corridor with other people watching and she'd sidle up to him and she'd kind of pat his butt and say that he really was a black stud. And he was both profoundly embarrassed by this, but also humiliated. But he said to me, look, you know, if I reported this, uh, it would be so easy for her to turn the tables uh, and tell senior management or the CEO that actually, you know, uh, I'd gotten it wrong and I was the person <laughs> that was uh, hitting on her, not the other way around. He was quite convinced that the um, claims of the white executive, uh, you know, would be believed and his word would not you know, uh, mean much at all to anyone. Things went from bad to worse, and at a company offsite, she actually tried to force her way into his room late at night. And at that point, he went to the police, and he got a restraining order. <laughs> he then went to the CEO because he had some evidence that, you know, real bad stuff was going on. Uh, the CEO kind of said that it was... Um, you know, he should kind of um, not have such a thin skin. And, and clearly, you know, she was just horsing around. Um, and he very reluctantly, uh, you know, made sure that her role, you know, didn't uh, any longer bring her into contact with uh, Warren Thomas. But she uh, really had no uh, sanction, you know, there, there was no repercussions for her. And he became the office joke because um, he found that all of his colleagues were kind of laughing at him because, you know, isn't it kind of the stuff of wet dreams that a male executive be hit upon by a very attractive younger uh, female executive? Um, and, you know, three, three months later, he left the firm. So I, I think that, you know, what you find is this um, pretty poisonous combination of humiliation emasculation, but also the disbelief uh, that, you know, the system would uh, credit this story <laughs> or act on it uh, in these groups. Um, and I think it helps explain some uh, very distressing facts, because if you look at the black male managerial uh, workforce, 46% uh, of this very precious talent leave corporate America be before the age of 40. 
And you know, there's lots of research that show that they feel that they're um, excluded. They feel that they're bullied. Uh, this is the first data showing that they also feel that they're, um, you know, that sex is kind of weaponized against them. Uh, but it, it's kind of consistent that uh, it's a power play. It's the old boys club uh, trying to figure out how to give all of the uh, new kids on the block uh, off their territory, off their turf. And I think that although the book is largely about women, because particularly if you include uh, women of color and gay women, it is a huge story. Uh, When you look at uh, the storyline around men, it, it quite clearly underscores that um, sexual misconduct is a way of grabbing power, hanging on to power, uh, making sure that you continue to enjoy, you know, those privileges and perks, and keeping all of the talented, diverse folks on the edge. So, Sylvia, so let's let's talk about how your book is really filled with solutions and and action steps, and yeah. and I'm I'm so grateful for that because. What you have shared in the book is is quite compelling and startling, especially with the data points and these very personal, vulnerable stories. And it's clear that we still have a lot to fix, that that um, those who are mistreated are feeling shame and fear and retaliation. And your your story about the brilliant jerk, right, that Arianna Huffington described is so resonant. I think yeah. we can all nod our heads and say, I've heard about that, or in some cases, experienced it. But what can companies in 2020 do to really challenge this and and fight against sexual misconduct in their workplaces? How can they move the needle? Well, it's a fabulous question. And half of the book, you know, is spent on that. And I do a setup. Uh, uh, As you know, Caroline, I show uh, how expensive it is to tolerate sexual misconduct. And I really, you know, do a whole job on the numbers. Uh, And, you know, just today, uh, you know, the Boy Scouts organization uh, declared bankruptcy (laughs) because of the river of, uh, you know, credible complaints that is going on in that organization, underscoring that this whole thing continues, right? It's not something that was last year. But what I'm able to show is whether it's lawsuits um, uh, or settlements, which are, you know, huge uh, numbers in some cases. You know, uh, Google is over 300 million. Uh, Michigan State University is a billion at this point because of the, uh, you know, the very large numbers of young athletes that were um, uh, harassed and assaulted at that institution. But it's not just the lawsuits. I look at what happened uh, at Nike, for instance, when not only was the culture of sexual predatory behavior uh, tolerated and um, endorsed by uh, the guys at the top, but it affected pay equity, it affected a lot of things, and it was so bad that 11 of the top guys were ousted. There was huge press around it, and about 10% was knocked off Nike's brand's worth, right? And that's real money, because the brand is valued at about $15 billion. 
It also affected the marketplace because the market that sagged as a result of these scandals was the market for women's shoes, women's apparel, which had been the fastest growing piece of the marketplace. So, you know, that's uh, driving many companies to up their game, to take this very seriously. Because not only uh, do you get uh, these hits the brand, uh, you know, the incredibly expensive lawsuits, but you also might suddenly lose your entire C-suite. Because if you allow uh, this to just flourish, this misconduct, this, you know, um, predatory behavior, you could be like CBS, you know, with uh, all of your that's suddenly gone. So it behooves companies to see it as a huge risk, a strategic risk, a business risk. And one thing I do in this book, I interviewed a lot of chief risk officers and they said, you know, all of a sudden, uh, sexual misconduct uh, is on their docket <laughs> because it's one of the biggest financial risks that companies face these days. The reason I do that setup is because none of these remedies, uh, you know, are convincing unless you understand that corporations and organizations are now motivated to do something. Because, you know, it could be just, you know, hot air. <laughs> it could just be a way of appeasing the um, the critics. But they do understand that they have to move the needle. So the thing I did was I uh, looked at um, 40, 50 companies, and I did a whole lot of interviews. And what I cherry-picked were... 10 action steps for individual managers and leaders, uh, you know, in the not-for-profit sector as well as in corporate America, and 10 action steps for corporations that seem to be working. Can you share one for each category just to, to weather right, absolutely. So let's take an individual. One thing that is super simple don't invade personal space ever, right? <laughs> uh, we understand from the Bidens of this world that, you know, for a certain generation that, you know, is easy uh, to overlook, that it's uh, not read as appropriate anymore. But, you know, it's just a new rule of the workplace. Secondly, for an individual, continue to sponsor and mentor fabulous younger talent who are female or who are gay or who are of color because these are some of the most valuable employees out there right now. And the way to continue doing that, despite Me Too and uh, the fear of gossip, you know, et cetera, et cetera, is to be very boisterous and public and loud. Don't do it behind closed doors, you know, <laughs> meet in the company cafeteria, not at bars late at night, but tell the world how fabulous this person is, circulate her resume, uh, have her present at the Friday team meeting. In other words, be super noisy about how, why you're doing this. And that really, really protects both of you. And it will allow... Uh, the Me Too movement, not to have this unintended consequence 
of somehow kicking women off the career trap because no one has the courage to sponsor them or mentor them anymore. So I, I arm, you know, there's a lot of good guys out there, a lot of great women out there who also want to continue to sponsor across the divides of race uh, and, you know, sexual orientation. So I have a whole set of useful tips and uh, data because we do know what works and what doesn't. And I'm so grateful that you you break it into generational buckets as well. And you're really calling on the senior level leaders to be advocates and sponsors right. and mentors. Uh, and Likewise, you you highlight what the the younger professionals, especially those new right. to the professional world of work, need to be wary of. And might you share a few of those? Right. Absolutely. Bits? Uh, you know, I interviewed the general counsel of International Paper, which is you know a huge uh, company that isn't uh, in Wall Street, but is very much in the middle of this country. And they are now doing very practical things because it's a very old-style, Midwestern, cozy kind of culture. And she was recommending that, you know, if you are going to be hugging people, and that's great in their context, she said a church hug (laughs) is the way to do it. (laughs) Nothing frontal. You know, it's a sideways, one-arm hug and do it to men and women. And it's fantastic. Don't avoid contact with people. But there are ways of doing this, you know, that really work. Uh, So lots of tips and uh, practical um, guidance in terms of to signal, you know, that uh, there's lots of respect going on, but there's also no avoidance. Because just think about it, Caroline. Caroline. You know, the biggest emerging market in this world is not China. It's women. Yes. Uh, Women consumers, women women incomes. You know, this is a huge and fast-growing slice of our marketplace. So we have to have gender smarts around decision-making tables. We have to keep the acceleration of women on track. And we cannot allow... Uh, the new airing are very real and deep-seated problems kind of knock us off track. And that's why I, I spend some time in terms of individual tactics in advising uh, team leaders as well as, you know, uh, CEOs on how you can really still be a sponsor across lines of difference. Sylvia, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your Working Life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. One of the stats that really struck me in the book was your reporting that 83% of women now say that those who report that they were victims of sexual assault should be given the benefit of the doubt. That's a positive shift. So unpack that for us because 
perhaps we're gaining ground in that regard, right? Because women have been and continue to be fearful that they won't be believed. So is there a change here? It's Caroline, the very real um, accomplishments of this amazing movement. And, you know, I, right at the beginning was a huge uh, beneficiary because I got to tell my story and felt the weight of many years fall off my shoulders. I think millions, I think 30 million um, female employees have now claimed hashtag me too and uh, seen themselves as part of this movement. That is huge. Uh, and it's expanding globally. You know, it obviously started in the US, but uh, that's a, an enormous number. And one reason why that is happening is that we are able to speak up and claim, um, I, I think, courtesy, respect, and seriousness of treatment in the workplace. And that is beginning to happen. Public opinion has shifted. Uh, there's about a 25% swing in terms of uh, US public opinion uh, about the um, likelihood that the uh, victims uh, are actually correct <laughs> uh, in what they're saying. However, and I, I am very clear on this in the book, we need to have more due process. You know, there's a big difference between the uh, Al Frankens and the Harvey Weinsteins of this world. And I do feel that my data, I very clearly distinguish between uh, mild forms of sexual harassment and sexual assault. You know, this is not just one bag of things that we throw everything into. And when I uh, did a whole bunch of interviews at IBM, I was very, very interested that uh, this company, which is uh, so clearly a cutting edge company in terms of its people policies, uh, they do fabulously, you know, in all of these comparisons. They very much uh, see a, a kind of spectrum. If the offense was uh, mild, if the uh, person who is accused uh, and credibly accused after an investigation, if it turns out there were some mild offenses, there is a kind of road to redemption. For starters at this company and now some other companies, uh, if you're willing to pay for your own um, uh, training and behavior modification program uh, and go through it and really... Uh, uh, are, you know, contrite in the ways that we need uh, someone like that to be. Uh, there is a probationary period and they might be able to stay in the community. Obviously, if it's uh, rape or <laughs> anything that's, you know, super, um, uh, uh, you know, distressing, uh, uh, there is a, a zero tolerance policy that is needed. But in both of these cases, to have some kind of external investigation is very, very important because I think it has to be seen as fair. Otherwise, the backlash amongst men, and men do hold a lot of these top positions still, right, 
will poison the possibility of this movement um, gaining even more traction, gaining even more allies, you know, gaining even more um, impact uh, in the workplace. And I do feel, you know, every revolution has its casualties and uh, clearly, you know, swift justice is a, a good idea in, in, you know, lots of ways. But many of us um, are now yearning for <laughs> a little bit more due process so that people are not shot down in one day, that they, uh, you know, they have... Um, a hearing that there is an investigation which is not, uh, you know, uh, loaded by your friends or your allies, but is an external uh, investigation. And then I think there can be, uh, you know, a some differentiation between what is then done. You know, one of the things that I'm so grateful about for this book is your... Um, positive action steps about how to move forward. And you reference a new human resources and diversity and inclusion team led by Kevin Lord and Marshila Hayes. And they've got some really new and innovative approaches. Might you share one or two just to, to whet our appetites about that? Because I think these are transformational. Well, you know, this is a, a fabulous story. Um, in an unexpected uh, place in some ways. This is at Fox News. Uh, but what happened after the ouster of Ailes and, uh, you know, some of the other uh, on-camera folks was that they started from scratch in terms of their human resource team. And there was a, a tremendous openness to the idea that uh, inclusion had to be at the center of things and the uh, new uh, HR head, as someone called Kevin Lord, um, created the most uh, amazing team of diverse individuals um, and has managed, I think, to make major strides in you know, regaining uh, trust and um, uh, you know, really turning around the, the corporate culture uh, to some extent, uh, in an environment, obviously, which was very loaded. You know, piggybacking off your idea that Kevin Lord and Washila Hayes at uh, Fox News, you know, did some extraordinary breakthrough inclusion together. Uh, let me pull out a, a couple of things which uh, they pioneered, which are now uh increasingly being adopted by uh, other companies. First off, training. You know, how do you do this in ways that um, are seen as authentic? Les Boonvis at uh, CBS famously uh, got his secretary to do the training for him. It was such a joke at that company, apparently, that the senior guys, you know, um, just delegated their training to someone else, <laughs> which obviously destroyed the whole purpose. So, you know, at these much more thoroughgoing new attempts at training, and again, uh, maybe take the Fox News example, every person at that organization has had 
in-depth sensitivity training in terms of, you know, what constitutes respect and inclusion, as well as what are the no-nos, what are the red flags. And they have deliberately uh, done a lot of one-on-one training and mixed up executives with the rank and file. So there is a sense that, you know, everyone is on this learning journey. Uh, And again, a lot of role playing, a lot of, you know, new ways of trying to visualize the angst uh, on the part of the person who is being disrespected or harassed and the, not just the pain, but the damage done uh, to the team and to the company. Another thing which uh, has been pioneered by several companies and uh, IPG, uh, IBM again, and Google uh, have done this, uh, is that there are various ways of reporting a complaint. Um, For instance, at Intel, uh, they have a warm line as well as a hotline. So if you just experienced an incident which was very much like bullying, you weren't quite sure that it was verging on sexual harassment, uh, and you also didn't know what you wanted to do with this, you can call this line anonymously and get some advice and a a kind of um, way of uh, talking it through, a way of protecting yourself from, uh, you know, any worsening of the situation. But you park the whole uh, issue of whether you want to use your name or not until later on. But the very fact that you put a toe in the water and talk to someone who can be helpful uh, is a huge step in the right direction and allows you to handle uh, whatever you decide to do and the situation much better. The other thing that's happening at some companies, there is a way to report to the audit committee of the board. Uh, or to, in fact, the CEO. So you can bypass HR if you feel that, um, as someone said, you know, uh, HR is seen at my company as being a little feeble (laughs) or in the pockets of the senior management. uh, And, you know, I'm not showcasing those companies in this book, but they certainly exist. uh, To have an alternative way to getting um, some serious story Uh, to the folks that uh, have decision-making power is a fabulous thing. So it's the reporting system, it's reimagining training. And the final thing I want to talk about is the companies that are turning bystanders into upstanders. Because guess what? If you are an immigrant, if you are brown, uh, and despite the fact you've got fabulous credentials and are wonderful at your job, you feel you're getting exploited or hit upon. And it is super risky for you to report this. It is wonderful if your colleagues, seeing what is going on, do the reporting for you. You know, bearing witness uh, in that kind of situation is extraordinarily important. Uh, so, it is the best ways, a best way of, of um, making sure that allies, you know, uh, start um, feeling valued and proactive, 
Uh, and so these programs, and uh, IBM has a particularly fantastic one, uh, are, I think, um, a big piece of the solution going forward. Interestingly enough, my data show that between 30 and 40% of white-collar workers already want to do this. Uh, they feel that uh, it is easier for bystanders to become active than perhaps the person who is in the heart of the incident, uh, if you like. Uh, and all they need is a, a green light, uh, a little training, and they can do a fabulous job. Sylvia, thank you so much. I always learn so much from you. And as I said, this book is transformational. I think it is such an important resource. I can see a multi-generational, a multi-gender audience appreciating this. Everyone from uh, those who are in the world of work to those are, who are in leadership and HR roles. And I'm, I'm just so grateful for your time, your expertise, and your research and for sharing with my global audience today. Well, one thing, you know, I just want to add, Caroline, Cornell West has become very involved in this book because he feels very strongly that um, employees of color uh, need to be, uh, you know, very much included in the Me Too movement. And so he and I are doing some events, uh, some writing together uh, in terms of how uh, to uh, widen the tent, how to create allyship, and what is at stake. Because again, this is profoundly uh, about soul craft, to use Cornell's word, in terms of uh, a person's sense of dignity and worth uh, in your career. But it's also very deeply about competitive strength. And one of the huge pieces of good news in this book is that enduring change is going to happen because it's way too expensive to not do a whole bunch of stuff around this issue now. That is excellent news. And I want to remind our global audience, the name of your book is Hashtag Me Too in the Corporate World. Power privilege and the path forward. And as you said, you're doing some wonderful collaborative work with Cornell West. I know you had a, a book launch at Barnes and Noble. So the book is certainly available on Barnes and Noble and Amazon, as well as all major book retailers. Sylvia, I wish you continued success. And again, I'm so grateful for your time on the show today. Caroline, I enjoyed it so much. Thank you. Thank you. And if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review because this helps new people find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you would like to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.